It is very good to be with you this morning and so thankful for our gathering every Sunday. Be praying for those that are, as I said, that are sick, that are not able to be. There was a couple others that I thought of. I know Mr. Mike was struggling with his foot. Ms. Debbie Huckleby, uh, she is recuperating for COVID as well. Continue to be praying uh, for our faith family uh, this week as they, several of them, just been having some illnesses. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 15 through 20. Luke chapter 3, verse 15 through 20. In 1981, there was a Minnesota radio station that reported of a story, a very unusual story that took place in California. There was a massive manhunt. The police were involved in a very intense search for a car thief. And the point of the announcement was rather unusual than normal. Many were puzzled why such one thief, one stolen car, could take precedent over all other thefts and all other crimes on that day. But the reason was, was that in the front seat of the stolen car, it was said that there was a box of crackers that were unknown to the thief that were laced with poison. The car owner had intended to use these crackers as rat bait, and so the police were very intense in their search to apprehend the thief, but not for the reason that most thought. Instead of trying to apprehend them to bring him to justice, they were really trying to apprehend him that they may save his life. Beloved, the call to repentance that I I hope that you have seen over the last two weeks is very similar. Our goal in the message of repentance It's not that we, on the one hand, would be superior and give to those that are sinners what they deserve. That is not our place, and that is God's place. But that our goal and God's ultimate goal in calling us to repentance is salvation. Repentance is the call for sinners to recognize their sinful nature to recognize their sinful wrongdoings and to turn away from this sinful way, turn away from this and be rescued by the grace of God, be rescued from the wrath of God. According to J.C. Ryle, no one has ever reached heaven without repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. FBC, repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. So many times we, 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 we put forth faith, faith, faith. Yes, faith in Christ alone is our salvation. But that faith comes with repentance. It expresses repentance over sin. So how do I know that someone has faith? I must look at the other side of the coin and see that they have repented of their sins, that they are continually repenting of their sins, continually turning away from their sinful nature. If we wish to see those that we love come to salvation... If we ourselves, if there is one over the last couple of weeks who has been under conviction and say, man, how can I be saved? Dear friends, we must embrace the call of repentance. It must take place. And so in part three of this sermon, preparing the way, the highway to salvation, I want to examine now the final words of John the Baptist in hopes that we understand this call 
of repentance. We have been looking in chapter 3 as we have seen that, that this chapter is a chapter about preparing for the coming of Christ. And so John has been preaching and we've seen people come and we've examined this but now we kind of get to the end here we're going to see some things take place that i think are very important when it comes to the call of repentance in the past two weeks we have seen that the highway of salvation is paved through repentance which is directing or revealing the right direction uncovering the correct problem giving us an urgent warning rebuking of self-deception And it demands spiritual fruit. These are all elements of the repentance, the message of repentance that John has been preaching. But today I want you to see the final elements. I want you to see four things this morning. I want you to see that repentance recognizes the supremacy of Christ. The call of repentance warns of eternal separation. The call of repentance speaks with boldness. And the call of repentance must count the cost it must count the cost it recognizes the supremacy of christ it warns of the eternal separation it speaks with boldness and it counts the cost notice with me in luke chapter 3 verse 15 let's begin this morning as we read god's word beginning in verse 3 verse 15 we read he says Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and he said to them, As for me, I baptize with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the the tongue of his sandals, and I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear the threshing of his threshing floor and to gather the wheat of his barn. But he will burn up the chaff in unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to people. But when Herod, the Tetrarch, uh, was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. If you will, I want you to notice the first one here, that repentance, the call of repentance recognizes the supremacy of Christ. In verse 15 and 16, we find that John's ministry has stirred the hearts of the people. Now, the people are stirred to such a point, though, that, that they love John. They, they love what's taking place, and John's popularity is growing, which is very interesting because John began his ministry in the wilderness. He didn't go to where everybody was. They eventually came to him, and he grew in popularity. They loved what they were hearing, and some, some didn't, but, it was, but you couldn't deny it. There was something powerful about it. And here's the thing about John the Baptist here is that John was not performing miracles. One understands Jesus Christ who performs the miracle and Jesus who walks on the water, who, who takes the bread and multiplies and everybody wants to make him the king. Everybody looks to him and says he is the Messiah, but John is not performing these miracles. He is simply just preaching. But there is nothing simple about his preaching. For John, his preaching is spirit-filled. John is preaching in such a way that the, the, the Holy Spirit has filled him and his sermons are in such a way that it moves the people. He was bold. And so they looked at him and they said, he must be the Messiah. They wanted John to be the Messiah. They wanted to follow him. This was a man that they could rally around and get behind. But John would allow no such thing. 
though John was a bold man, he was a rough man, he preached with power. Dear friends, he was not the Messiah, and he was a humble man. I want you to notice what John said. He said, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie his sandal. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, you've got to love this. I, I love this whole thing of, of untying the sandal. This is the task of a slave. This is like the lowliest task that, that, that the slave would have. That he, he, would, he would take off the, the very sandals of his master. And John is saying, I am not worthy to be a slave to untie his shoes. I am not worthy enough to even touch his feet. John is saying, I am far less than even a slave. He is emphasizing here in these, in these verses, he is emphasizing the superiority of Christ in comparison to himself. They are calling for him to be the Messiah. They're, they want him to be the Messiah. And he says, you don't understand. I am nothing. I am a worm compared to the Messiah. You're going to get to see the Messiah. and You're going to see how great he is in comparison to me. John was just a man. He could only baptize them with a physical baptism that would only get the outside clean. And they would only get dirty again as they walked away and went back to their daily life. John says, I baptize on the outside. He said, but Jesus cleanses on the inside. He said, Jesus deals with the heart. He deals with where the problem lies. Do you remember remember a couple weeks ago that, that, that statement, you brood of vipers, the correct problem? You are sinful within your nature, within, within your heart. He says, that is, he says, Christ is the only one who is superior to deal with that. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Now, there is some debate on this. And, and so I, I, I saw this this week, that there's just, there's just two, two main sides of, of those who debate. There are, on the one side, there are those who look at this as that Christ is going uh, through, his, through his life, res, uh, death, and resurrection. You know, and then he ascends, you know, the Spirit comes down, he fills us, that those who are saved are filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes, he resides within us, but, but, but not only does he just reside within us, we are baptized Holy Spirit spiritually, but, but the Spirit is fire within us, and so that Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit is burning away the impurities, it's a sanctification, we're growing, he's, he's, he's sanctifying us from the inside out. So some of us look at the issue of, of Pentecost, in which the Spirit's going to come down and do his work within us. But there are others who have said that, no, that what John is saying here is about judgment, which actually would fit the context. Because think about it, John has been warning us of what? Hell. He's been warning us of hell. And he says that there is one who is coming who can baptize you with the Holy Spirit or he can baptize you with fire, with hell. And we'll look at the next verse in just a moment. He sees that he is the judge. This is the one who judges and he separates us. Dear friends, either way, whatever side you would fall on in this debate, John still accomplishes his purpose for what he says. Christ is superior. Christ is superior. He is greater than me. He is greater than you. John says, I cannot purify you on the inside. 
I can baptize you. I can dunk you. I can preach a sermon to you. I can call you to repentance. I can give you counsel. I can walk with you through your repentance. But I cannot purify you from the inside out. You need something greater than that. John says that you need someone greater than than he who can work from within the heart that it may come out of us. Dear friends, the, the highway of salvation is not paved by telling people that they just need to clean up their outside. Repentance is not, you just need to stop doing that one bad thing. Repentance is not just, you need to stop just doing those sins and, and, you know, on the outside and everything else will take care of itself on the inside. This is what we tell people. If you'll just stop sinning, if you'll just stop doing, doing that thing, then, then you will go to heaven. Dear friends, that is not the message of Repentance. The message of repentance is that you need to recognize your sinful nature and recognize that you have sinned against a holy, righteous God and submit yourself to Him. And recognize that He is superior. Recognize that you that are not the Lord of your life and come under submission to Him. John knew that, that baptism of water could not save, but he knew that Christ The supremacy of Christ and His work inside of your heart can. Dear friends, I'm afraid that some of you just thought that if I just stopped that one sin, if I just stopped, this is what some of you thought. You were really wild in your teenage years and your young adult years and you just thought that if I just don't be like that and I just get my act together and get my life straight and go to church, I am going to make it into heaven. Dear friends, you can get your act together and you can go to church and Jesus Christ is still not superior in your life. You need to submit yourself to Him. You need Christ to cleanse you from the inside out. And this is something that John is telling us. You need to submit your life to Christ. And this is the problem. Is that we've got that sin. You got that sin under control, didn't you? That sin that everybody pointed at when you were younger. That thing that you were known for. Old Brian, he was known for such and such. But I'm glad he got that under control. And many of us do that about the time we finally decide we want to get married. And we do this about the time we have children. Because now that we got kids, i got to act like a grown-up. And all of a sudden, I'm right. I'm good. Dear friends, John says, no. He says, I baptize with water. That's, that's water baptism. That cleanses the outside. He says, you need something far greater that only Christ can give you on the inside. If you were under conviction this morning, if this is you, I would encourage you, dear friend, that you would begin to submit yourself to the life of Christ. Submit yourself to his word. Call out to him to come into your heart, come into your life, and to change you from the inside out. But I must also flip the script here on, on those who call to repentance. Now, I, I think this is also something that, that I must add to that is that the way of salvation is not paved with arrogant preaching and witnessing. Let me say it again. The way of salvation, the highway of salvation, is not paved through arrogant preaching and witnessing. In other words, the call to repentance seems to lose its effectiveness because we who preach it and we who tell everybody else they need to get saved begin to think that we are superior to those we are talking to. You see, John is wanting us to know that he is not the judge of these individuals. 
John wants them to know, you don't have to apologize to me. You don't have to make things right with me. You have to make things right with him. The call of repentance is not that people have sinned against us and need our forgiveness. And it's not that you and I are the judge. Dear friends, it is paved in the humility of our witnessing. It is paved in the humility of our preaching. Because we, the the messenger, recognizes the superiority of Christ. And so we call people to go to him. We call people to submit to him. We are one beggar showing another beggar where we found food. Oh, dear friends, I would pray that if this has been your M.O., that if you have come across as though you are superior to all those sinners out there, that you yourself would recognize that your message is, is not effective because you are basically making yourself the judge. Seek to kill this arrogance in you. Pray that any anger within you of of sinfulness that you see in the world, because we do this, we see sin in the world, and we become angry, because how dare they do that? I would never do that. I would never do that. Oh, dear friends, I pray that our anger would not be that they have sinned against us, but they have sinned against God. And I would beg of the church that you would make sure that Jesus is the judge and the Savior Don't make yourself judge and executioner of people. John knew this. He knew that Christ was superior. So in our call, dear friends, we always point not only to Christ, but we point in such a way that we all answer to him. But I want you to notice secondly that he warns of eternal separation. Notice again verse 16, for he says, John answered and he said to them all, he says, as for me, I baptize you with water. There's one who's come mighty than I, that I'm unfit to untie sandals. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Look at verse 17. His winnowing, winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. N- notice here that he now confronts them with hell again. This is our third warning of hell in three weeks. If you, if you didn't like hell, then, then you probably should have skipped Luke chapter 3. Because John, is, is he, he's hitting this over again, over and over and over. If you remember the first warning, was the issue of snakes trying to escape the fire. You brood of vipers. Who told you to come and be baptized and that you would escape the fire? So, so you remember that was the first warning. And then, and then we got the, the, the second warning, the tree where the, the axe is on the root. And he says that, that Christ is going to chop down the tree if it doesn't produce good fruit. And he's going to throw it into the flame. But now he gives a third picture. It is the picture of the threshing floor. This is something that the farmers would have known well. That after the wheat had been threshed by the oxen that they would it would be the um the wheat the the fruit of it would be separated from the chaff and the husk and all that and so they would there on a good windy day they would take their basically their pitchforks and they would grab it and they would throw it into the air and then the breeze coming off the Mediterranean sea would come and it would take away the husk and all the bad stuff and then the wheat itself the the the, the fruit of it the 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 produce That which is good would fall to the ground and then they would gather it up. You see that what Jesus is, or what John is doing here, he's giving us a picture of God's judgment that it will be an eternal separation. This illustrates to us there's a time that is coming, dear beloved. There's a time that is coming where Jesus will pick up his his pitchfork, his winnowing fork, and he will begin to separate on that day of judgment 
the believer from the unbeliever. He will separate that which is wicked from that which is good. He will separate that which is, which is bad, which is, he says, which is of no value to that which is valuable. The chaff, the unbeliever, the wicked will be cast into hell forever. Unquenchable fire. Never will there ever be a moment. Never will there ever be a, a moment where there is no torment, no pain. It is nothing but eternal suffering. But the wheat, the believer, that which is good, will be gathered into the Lord's barn, which will represent heaven, new earth, where we will know unspeakable joy for all of eternity. But I want to direct you to the one who is doing the separating here. I, I must direct you because, because I, this, is, this is a warning in and of itself and there's a whole lot there, but I think it's very relevant for our day that you and I would look at this and see the, of the one who was doing the separating. John is very clear that it's not him. Don't look to me. That's not me. He says it is Christ, the one who is going to come after me. And so this is the opposite of what we hear today, isn't it? You see, the message of the gospel in our day has been twisted in such a way that Jesus' love is so inclusive, God would never separate us from one another. Jesus' love is so inclusive that God would never separate us from his love. He would never judge Dear friends, in fact, this is the very opposite of the gospel. I must warn you today that not only is there a judgment, dear friends, there is an eternal separation that will take place, and it is Jesus Christ who will do it. You and I will be separated from the unbelievers, which, by the way, that may be your spouse, that may be your best friend, that may be your child. It may be you on the, on the other end, on the eternal judgment end, and them on the other side of it. What we know is, is that this will be an eternal separation from all of those that we love and have done life together with on this side of heaven. Oh, dear friends, He will not only separate us from them, but He will separate us from Himself. Christ will not tolerate a sinful life. Christ will not tolerate a rotten tree. He will not tolerate a life of no repentance. doesn't mean you're going to live perfectly. But you and I as believers, the fruit of our repentance is that we continually repent. We are continually confessing our sins and, and trying to overcome our sins. Not live in our sins. I saw this last night as this video of the guy who was letting us all know that if you're anti-LGBTQ, if you're all of this, if you're that, he said, you just need to know that God is not that way. Dear friends, that's the message of the day. Be who you are, live in your sin, and everyone else who does not tolerate that, who does not embrace you, if you, listen, if a guy wants to be a girl and a girl wants to be a guy and anyone fights you on it, they're the ones who are against God. God will deal with them. Dear friends, 
That is a lie from Satan. Who just like Eve, he twisted the words of God. The Bible says that you will be separated from all eternity. And it is Christ himself who will do it. He will judge you. And he will separate you from his own love. See, we are told that God's love is so inclusive that we could never be separated from it. And yet we find that it is Christ who will separate us from himself. He will judge you and he will separate you from the saints. He will judge you and your loved ones and he will separate you from them. He will judge you and he will separate you from eternal joy and peace. My dear friends, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning that you are a sinner on your way into this unquenchable fire, may I plead with you this morning that you would repent of your sins. For three weeks, for three weeks now, we have seen that this is a serious warning that God has given us three times in just 20-something verses. John has given us three illustrations of hell. It is a real place. It is a real warning that he gives us. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ now. Or you will be separated. The gospel, dear friends, is your only salvation. The gospel that tells you that Jesus, who came into this world and died for your sins, who lived the perfect life, who separated himself from the Father, that he may come to be with you, that he may live life for you, that he may, that he may d- obey the will of God, obey the law of God perfectly, and then willingly lay down his life and die on behalf of your sins And in his resurrection, dear friends, you can be found in him and find complete unity with Christ and all of the saints, all of those who will be gathered into his kingdom. But you must come and you must repent. You must come and you must recognize your sin and call upon Christ and submit your life to him. Because, dear friends, there is an eternal separation on the day of judgment. But notice thirdly, that he also speaks with boldness. Look at verse 18. He says, So many other exhortations he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by, his, uh, by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done. Now, no, now notice here that we are told that John continued to preach the gospel boldly. He was exhortating he was it was in public and he was he continued over and over and over again until we get to this point of Herod now just know that what we're about to read especially in verse 20 is not in chronological order but we find this man named Herod Herod this is not Herod the great Herod the great is gone this is his son Antipas and so this Herod is one of his many children, and this is the one who Jesus will stand before during his trial, and after the death of his father, after um, Herod the Great passed away, Antipas uh, became one of the governors of the jurisdiction. Caesar Augustus basically broke, broke up Herod the Great's section, his, his region, into four areas, and three of his children got to govern them. Notice that John reprimands Antipas here. The Greek word means to bring to light John is publicly calling out the sin of Herod. Now, I need you to picture that with me. This is very much like you calling out the sin of the president, but even worse. You're not just calling out the sin of one governor, one president of one nation. You are calling out the sin 
of, uh, uh, you know, because we have multiple governors, multiple things, we have social media, but, but this is one guy who goes openly to, to Herod, and he tells him, you are a sinner, you need to repent. They did not have the freedom in their day to do these things without consequences. So what is he reprimanding him of? Well, to try to keep all of this very clean for the children here, notice, I want you to know this, is that Antipas divorces his wife, and he goes and he marries the wife of his half-brother, Philip. But notice that her name is Herodias. She is not only the half-brother, she's not only his, his half-brother's wife, she is also their half-niece. So you have a messed up family here, which we already knew. So you have the sin of divorcing your wife, taking another man's wife, and the fact you have the, the sin of, of incest here. Herodias has a teenage daughter who will now live there in the palace with him. And you will recall this teenage daughter who dances before Herod and all of his dinner guests. That he, She pleases Herod to such an extent that he grants her whatever she wishes, which is the, which is the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And though John knew that this way cost him his life, you understand, he, it's not just Herod and his marriage, it's all that he was doing. He was a very sinful man, and so John knew that this may cost him his life. And so he boldly goes before Herod, and he preaches, and he speaks, and he says to Herod, he says to Herodias, repent, repent of your sin. You are living a life that is going to cast you in eternal damnation. Come to Christ. Come and know the one who has come, the Lamb who has come into the world to take away the sins of the world. He brings all of this out. And he tells Herod, he says, Herod, the highway of salvation is not paved in wickedness and sin, but in repentance. Dear friends, John the Baptist did not fear man. John the Baptist feared God. And so therefore he boldly spoke the word of God. FBC, the highway of salvation, is not paved by weakness and in the shadows. It's paved with boldness and in the light. Dear friends, it is paved with men and women looking other men and women in the eye. And letting them know that their sin, that their nature is against God. And because of that, they will be judged and cast into hell. The highway of salvation is bold. It is paved paved when men and women speak boldly the truth. But I am afraid that we have become a weak people. I am afraid that I myself have to deal with this weakness and this fear. That we are a people today who are living in a time where to tell someone they are a sinner is actually the sin. To, to, to literally tell someone that they are wrong, to offend someone, to let them know that they are against God and there is an eternal judgment that waits upon them, that you are actually the one who is sinning against that person because you are seen as not loving. Dear friends, I'm here to tell you the reason that that message has been, the reason that message is so rampant of our day is because it comes from Satan. 
It comes from the deceiver. Dear friends, if we are truly concerned with the salvation of those that we love, we would boldly proclaim the gospel to them. If you are concerned that the church has had not had enough baptisms, stop thinking the problem is programs. And ask yourself how many people you have shared the gospel with. Dear friends, if you are concerned that our churches are not that they're not full of people in the pews. Maybe the problem is, is that we are not preaching and teaching the gospel boldly in this world that they may hear it and know it. Are you concerned that more people in our life, in our culture, are living in gross, open sin? Maybe because the message of the gospel has been watered down to where we no longer preach repentance. Oh, beloved, I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul this morning. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, I I need you to hear what he says. How will the, he says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Beloved, if people are not coming to faith, it is because they're not hearing the gospel that brings them to faith. And if they're not hearing the gospel that brings them to faith, it's because we, the church, have quit preaching the gospel boldly we have quit giving them the gospel that calls them to repent of their sins john the baptist was bold in his proclamation of the gospel epc it is time for you to be bold because you know there are those of you that your spouse is unsaved but you are too timid to share with them the gospel You're too timid to share with them that they need to repent of their sins. There are those of you who have children and you are too timid to tell them because you were afraid. We're going to talk about counting the cost in just a moment. But you are too timid to share with them and tell them that they are in need of repenting of their sins. You have people that you work with. You have people in this very church that you question because you see the sinfulness of their life. You see that the fruit of their tree is totally different out there than it is here on Sunday mornings. And instead of confronting them and, t- and sharing the gospel with them and, and, and trying to lead them in that, you've convinced yourself, dear friends, that the best thing for you to do is to say nothing at all. Could you imagine if John and Jesus Christ took that approach? No one would be saved. Dear friends, speak boldly to your children. Speak boldly to your spouse and your neighbors and your co-workers. Speak boldly to your politicians. Speak boldly to your strangers. And FBC, can I say this? Speak boldly to one another. You don't have to be mean. You can do this with wisdom and then with love. 
but do not become so fearful that you withhold the only thing that can save them. Because in fact, boldly proclaiming the call of repentance is the most loving thing a man or woman can do. John does not go to Herod that he may because he hates Herod. John proclaims the gospel to Herod because he loves him and he wants Herod to be saved. But that leads us into the fourth thing that I want you to see is that you must also count the cost. Notice verse 20, for he says, Herod added this to them all, added all this to the, the, the wickedness that John was calling, and he locked, or he added this to all of his wickedness, and he locked John up in prison. Obviously, this is, as I said, not in chronological order, because we'll, we'll see John baptize Jesus in the ne- next Sunday, but, but Luke wants you to see the results that can occur from preaching. It is the imprisonment and death. In Luke chapter 9, verse 9, we will read of John's beheading. You see, instead of repenting of his sin, Herod ignores and he lashes out at John. Herodias really is the one who really kind of leads her husband to lash out at John. He throws him into prison. Eventually, as I said, he will have him killed. But dear friends, this is not the uncommon response to the message of repentance, is it? Matter of fact, in John chapter 15, verse, verse 18, 20, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. You see, Jesus tells the disciples that they will be persecuted just like him. Why? Why will they be persecuted just like him? He, he continues on. He says, he says in verse 22, he says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. He said, But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates the Father. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in the law. They have hated me without a cause. You see, Jesus is saying here, that the Jews, particularly the Pharisees, rejected the message that he brought them. And because they rejected him, because they lashed out at him, their sin became very much known. They were unbelievers. Dear friends, the world hates the message of repentance. And ask yourself why. Because the world hates Christ. When those that we love and those that we do life with reject the message of repentance, it is not you they hate. It is Christ. And the call of repentance is going to bring that out. Or it will either bring them into a saving relationship. But what we find here is that Christ is saying that the world is sinful and their works are sinful and they need to be saved. And he brings a message of salvation, but they rejected it. Instead of embracing Christ to inherit eternal life, it resulted in Jesus' own persecution and death. It resulted in John's persecution and death. And dear friends, it it can and will result in our persecution and death. 
FBC, if we are going to see people genuinely saved, we must count the cost. To preach repentance is, is, is going to be accepted by some and they're going to be saved. But if we, but, but the others, they're, gonna, they're, gonna, they're going to, to reject it. They may lash out at it. But if you are so scared to say, well, then I don't want to make anybody mad and I don't want to lose any relationship, therefore I will not preach at all, then you need to ask yourself this question. Is it worth it? Is a life of comfort and ease a life where everybody's happy, where, where you have no turmoil in your relationships? Is it worth it? Is it worth your family not disowning you or your children not disowning you? Or are you losing your friends or losing your job? Is it worth people not leaving the church because you didn't preach the gospel to them? Everything's okay in my life. All my relationships are intact. Let me answer the question. Red letters, this is Jesus. Matthew 16, 26 and 27, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Dear friends, is it worth it? That you had a good relationship that, you know, that you, you didn't offend somebody because you never shared the gospel with them. But when the day of judgment came, they went to hell. Was it worth it? Was life on earth of ease and comfort with that individual worth them spending an eternity in hell? Is it worth it? You have children that need Christ. You have family members that need Christ. And you are so concerned about this world, about this life, that you are willing to forfeit their eternity in heaven. Count the cost. You may be persecuted. You may lose loved ones. But dear friends, you just may help them gain an eternity with Christ. I am afraid that we have become so weak and so influenced by the world that we are so afraid to offend that we have believed the lie. Dear friends, Herod, unless he repented of his sins, he was ushered into hell. But he kept his wife. He kept his daughter. He kept his friends, his drinking buddies. He enjoyed unspeakable riches and pleasure on this side of eternity. But unless he repented, he faced a judgment of separation from Christ. But John the Baptist endured. He suffered, he died. But we know where that brother is. He is with Christ. And not only is John the Baptist with Christ, but so many more who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, who repented of their sins, believed upon Jesus, and produced the fruit of repentance. Dear friends, is it worth not offending others when the, when the cost is an eternity in hell? Is it worth, FBC, that our church may not be full as big as the next church? Because we preach repentance here 
And it may offend people when the cost is that more people may spend an eternity in hell. Beloved, the road of salvation for our loved ones and for everyone around us is paved through the gospel message which calls us to repentance. And I pray that you see the price of their salvation, that it is, fought, that it is worth every ounce of, com- of discomfort and labor that we have to endure and that you would embrace the words of Charles Spurgeon today who said, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap, over, leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and not one go there unwarned or unprayed for. I challenge you, dear friends. Proclaim the gospel message of repentance to yourself. Bring it, proclaim it to those around you that you love. Bring them to church, bring them to a church that preaches the call of repentance. And ask God to open their spiritual ears that they may hear and be saved. And when someone embraces that message of repentance, don't just tell them to say a prayer. You walk with them through the very things that we have looked at of what it means to bear the fruit of repentance in their life. Preach the gospel, dear friends, and call people to repentance. It is their only hope of being rescued. Let's pray.